understand you are on your way to Iron Mountain Observatory to find out why and when silent after receiving a signal from a missing probe. This celestial mystery must be evaluated from every perspective. Now lay me down to sleep. There appear to be pages from a Bible covering the walls. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. I'm not gonna hurt you. If I should die Revelations talks about the end of times. Do you think that's what's happening now? Amen. It's starting. What is it you want? To fulfill prophecy. What prophecy? Everybody is in danger. Join us. Do you hear it, Gabriel? All roads have led to this moment. Let the signal transmit. pleasure thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me how are you doing yeah wonderful you know i'm here in uh uh the detroit michigan area and um we're uh we've got a nice fall day it's actually warm uh but temperatures are about to drop tomorrow and we'll probably be thrust into winter you know so early winter enjoy it while it lasts as you say it's right around the corner yeah right yeah uh how, how about you similar actually it's been raining pretty much non-stop for a week straight there's been a storm over the north of england it's caused a bit of trouble but today oh. similar to you it's mild it's autumny that's it wow. it's all right yeah we were fortunate uh my first visit to um uh, uh the uk you know i went to london for fright fest and um we just love the uh, the city and the theater district. And I brought my wife and my daughter. And um, uh, yeah, we had a fabulous time. So um, it was wonderful. Oh, did you get did you spend a few days? Did you get a lot of time to do things? Yeah, you know, we had you know, we did the two. We did the touristy things. We did a couple uh, bus tours. You got to kind of do that. Mm. And uh, but we did uh, my my young daughter is really into theater. So we um uh, we would frequent, uh, we got some tickets to the, uh, Prince Charles or not the, the, 
now it's the um uh now it's king charles right um oh yeah uh, but the, 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 about the, the theater cinema. um no it was actually we saw the phantom of all things at the um uh the now it's his majesty's theater i believe it's called and just a gorgeous old theater mm. so um uh, so yeah, so so we snuck in some theater while we were there doing movie stuff, you know. You spot for choice. It is London. It is my city. It's where I live. It's where I spend my time. So I know it. Leicester Square, Tottenham Court Road. You've got so much West End um, stuff to experience there. But um, ultimately, being there as well, specifically for Fright Fest, is an experience in itself. Thorns. Mm-hmm. The movie got its worldwide premiere there. Talk to me about that experience. Yeah, you know, wonderful. Uh, We actually, um, you know, held out. There were a few other uh, festivals that wanted us to uh, uh, to premiere. But, um, you know, Fright Fest has been on my uh, sort of bucket list of festivals for a while. And, um, you know, we held out. And when we got the invitation, we were just over the moon and uh you know the screening was um exceptional we had a full house and uh you know we got uh, some wonderful reviews from it and um yeah couldn't have asked for more really what was the overall reaction like in a room come you know credits we've reached the end and did you kind of get much in the way of feedback directly from yeah. people yeah um you know uh it wasn't until well yeah you know there was the obligatory applause and it was a nice crowd to the point where uh you know when there were moments specifically because it's a horror film and a horror crowd uh when there were particularly gruesome moments mm-hmm. uh the audience didn't hold back and they were cheering uh gleefully um and then of course a few applaud moments and um just very supportive you know i think overall and um you know it, it is a um you know it's not a large budgeted film it's a lower budgeted horror film and um we we feel it played well for uh for that and um yeah but well received and a few of the uh, uh more popular horror trades like dread central um really mm. love the uh uh film and um you know gave it uh, four stars and all that so that was great it's good to hear that feedback. Um, I've seen it now. I watched it myself yesterday um, in preparation oh, to t- talk to you about this. Yeah. Um, you know, it is uh, an exceptional experience, that mind-bending experience is how I like to think of it. Uh, you're combining things like biblical themes, metaphysical tones, and of course, strong physical horror. Um, but I guess I want you to take me back to the early stages of your vision, your vision for this. What did it look like? Well, um, you know, uh, the the film was sort of uh, several decades in the making just in that um, I myself am a uh, lover of the genre and my favorite era uh, was the, um, you know, that sweet spot in the late 70s and in the mid 80s um, where physical effects reign supreme and monsters, um, you know, were a big part of cinema. And mm. so it was... Uh, films like, you know, Ridley Scott's Alien, uh, of course, Clive Barker's Hellraiser, and then John Carpenter's The Thing, you know, that just uh, really stuck with me over the years. And so as I evolved as a filmmaker, it I always said to myself, I'd love to make an homage to 
that era. Um, something very physical, uh, makeup effects driven, and just really celebrating a, a monster. Um, so, you know, we, we, you know, I approached the story from that singular perspective uh, as an homage piece, uh, mm. but, but making it somewhat modern, you know, if you will, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely does. So you have that base vision. How does that evolve as the years goes by, as time goes by and you're working on this overarching story and vision? How does that adapt? How does that evolve? Well, uh, you know, uh, so there's that there there's that whole part. And, uh, you know, then there's just, yeah, where do ideas come from? Right. And and all that um, I myself is, you know, with all the films I've made, um, I tend to be the uh, the screenwriter. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, you know, I, it, with this film, if you, um, you know, if you look to it, there are religious overtones and overtones of science and the cosmos. And, you know, I'm fascinated by those subjects. And, you know, I sort of have felt we're living in a very... Um, interesting time. And, uh, you know, I know that can sound cliche, because I'm sure every decade, you know, there are there's talk of doom and gloom and apocalyptic, I, you know, thoughts and, and things of that nature. But, um, you know, I guess, um, you know, I was holding up a little bit of a mirror towards society and um, looking at the world around me. Um, you know, when uh, the idea sort of struck the epiphany for, um, you know, uh, just the basis of where, where, where would hell be in the, uh, in the world and in, you know, or in the cosmos and whatnot. And it sort of took, took life from there, you know, and if there is such a place, right. And, and, you know, so. Talk to me then about assembling this cast because it's a strong cast you have the likes of john bennett cassandra shoma Bo, Bo schumacher and of course doug bradley to name just a few uh was the yeah. casting process quite easy uh you know sure um you know doug bradley has a, a storied career you know with the uh, hell uh, hellraiser franchise and um i knew doug's manager um uh so uh I was having a casual conversation with uh, Doug's manager and I said, yeah, I'm trying to cast this uh, role of an archbishop who, you know, who starts out, you know, is, is sort of a, um, an ally of the protagonist, but as the story progresses, you know, we learn, you know, more and so forth. And he immediately uh, tossed out Doug Bradley and, you know, I'll I'll admit at first I was a bit apprehensive because it was a monster film and because um, our designs were, um, you know, uh, there was inspiration uh, for sure, um, you know, with the Hellraiser films. Of course. So I was wondering, okay, well, how far do you go with this, right? And then I figured what I'd do is I'd send the script to Doug and I'd let him be the uh, the final judge of it. And, and he just loved the story and the character. And um, so that made me feel good. And um, he has since, um, you know, he's seen the film and he's participated in a lot of the uh, uh, promotional media for it. And so um, I got his stamp of approval and and that meant a lot to me. So, um, yeah, that was that was great. It is great. It is great because um, 
you know, there is a, I don't want to say a habit or a trend sometimes of a big name uh, horror actor from, say, the 80s and the 90s, someone was coming into a film and having a two-minute role there, kind of phoning it in and not really anything beyond that. So it was really great yeah. to see him be so prominent in this film. Yeah, uh, we, uh, you know, um, it, it had to be carefully, you know, designed again as independent filmmakers. You know, it's it's always a battle and a struggle for coordinating um, when you're on set. And, you know, they say that every film starts out, you know, as an Academy Award, you know, contender. It's just what happens once you start filming. Right. You mm -hmm. know, all the elements and you're up against. And um, but Doug was great to work with a phenomenal actor. Um, you know, came to set prepared and uh, made it just uh, a wonderful experience for us. I'm really glad to hear that. Um, and I also want to I want to highlight someone specifically, um, mainly because of how they, their performance is in the movie. And it's Cassandra, because, of yeah. course, in the movie Mute, which means all acting has to come from expressions and body language and so on. And she is incredible. Um, was that character always always going to be mute or was there something that kind of changed that? Um, uh, oh, as far as the, uh, the, uh, yeah, the mute, uh, uh, ness of the nun. No, uh, that was always there. Um, it was intentional. She's a metaphor. You know, I, I don't like to, I, I like to allow audiences to, to make of a movie what they will, but I can tell you as a writer, um, she was representative to me of of the um, uh, a bit of the Catholic Church and um, you know her silence um, in a in a time uh, speaks to um, you know um, what I feel um, you know uh, where things may may have gone wrong with many organized religions right so um, that's what her character really represents. And, um, you know, in addition to actually be a, being a female voice in the church. Mm -hmm. um, so and I talked to Cassandra a lot about that. You know, we had dialogues and you know, she wanted to know where this was all coming from. And and um, uh, she did just a brilliant job um, and, uh, you know, walking through the entire film. Right. You know, without the ability to. Um, to uh, actually have dialogue, but yet she's on screen for um, uh, you know most of the film. What about working off uh, John Bennett in that regard? Because they have so many scenes together, as you said, so many times where he has to be, you know he has to talk to her, but he can't get an answer. It's well, it's it's complex complex to watch, but it's fascinating as well. Well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm glad you uh, you you see it that way, and um, you know what's interesting is I almost think that each each actor carries the film in their own right, you know, because here you have John, um, you know, we open the film with John, and we follow, uh, you know, uh, Gabe Goodman, you know, all the way, you know, uh, to uh, to the remote um, observatory and beyond, right, and um, we're almost never not with him, so. Um, we needed someone that we felt the audience would feel captivated by and enthused by. So he, so he had to be extremely authentic. And then, of course, he's playing off someone who can't talk back to him. So that made it even you know, more challenging. So on one end, uh, this film rises based on John's um, uh, performance. But then Cassandra 
uh, you know, takes the film on on her shoulders um, with the with the entire religious angle. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you've got the monster. Right. Um, you know, Bo uh, Schumacher, who wonderfully portrays Dr. Malik, um, you know, who transforms into the monster. And that's, uh, you know, a whole other uh, story <laughs> there, because, um, you know, Bo is in some uh complicated and and um challenging makeup for uh for the film for sure it it looked like it it looks like on the screen like it was a lot of um effort gone into creating to to the challenge of getting them and all of that so i have to ask you when you look at the challenging aspects of creating a film overall is the the effects the makeup potentially it yeah, of course. Um, uh, you know, there are there are all the uh, normal inherent challenges with just making an independent feature, mm-hmm. um, you know, not getting booted out of locations and uh, trying to find your funding and, and keeping your crew together in a post-COVID era and, you know, all of those things. But in with this film in particular, yeah, it was the attention to detail for the uh, the makeup effects. Those are pullover masks. Um, you know, Bo is put in an extensive full facial prosthetic appliances. Um, and so it's a, you know, it's like a six piece mask that's literally glued, you know, to the actor's face. And there are no eyelets, mm-hmm. um, um, at least for like 90% of the filming. So Bo was unable to see. So the minute he sat down in the makeup chair, his sight was taken away. And, um, you know, the uh, the mouth area was even sealed up. And of course, you know, we were feeding him lunch, you know, smoothies through a straw. But um, we had we had two uh, two uh, PAs walk him to set uh, because he couldn't find his own way. And he likened the experience to being a, a scuba diver um, in that he felt, um, you know, extreme claustrophobia entrapped and he found himself being hit with like pan- some panic moments um where he just wanted to literally rip himself out of the makeup wow yeah yeah it was that challenging for him and then of course it was getting really hot under the lights um so we had to move swiftly and quickly and um you know uh, again you can start with that academy award plan but the minute you get on set and someone throws this curveball at you saying we need to hurry up because this actor's only got another 40 minutes in this makeup and you know what i mean so um yeah those are some of the challenges you know we uh, we were up against so Incredible. But then flip that around, um, yep. because as you say, there are loads and loads of challenges, but there are also going to be tons of areas that you enjoy, that you find creatively satisfying or just fun. What were some of them? Yeah, sure. Well, I, you know, I think for me, the, uh, the you know, why I stick with it, uh, you know, I never I never got in this to, um, uh, you know, to have the mansion on the hill and, and so forth. I'm just, uh, I love movie making and um, you know, it's my day job as well. I run a film institute um, here in, in Michigan. Um, you know, I've been doing that for three decades now. Um, and uh, and when I'm not doing that, I'm making films, independent films in the Detroit area. So, you know, I love uh, pre-production. I love um, conceptualizing and building shot lists and visualizing how 
I will translate the script to screen. That's always a, a real fun because you can do it in private and it's sort of a, you know, just a, a fun little hobby. Mm. Um, but then, you know, for me, uh, you know, it's bringing all the, uh, the, the crew and cast together and um, the, the harmonious, hopefully, uh, you know, family type atmosphere that's created on a, uh, a film set. Oh, you know, it's an intense short period of time. So people become fast friends and usually strong bonds are built. Um, and what's exciting about it is whenever you make a movie, you're almost living a, a different life, if you will, you know, because each film takes you into a different world and a different experience. And uh, then at the the end of the shoot, you kind of walk away from it, you know. So and and then of course taking the film uh, to festivals, um, and when it's positively received, it's you know uh, it's hard to top. That's a real wonderful um, experience for us. So, and it's well deserved, as you say, because it's um, a combination of a great story, great acting, great visuals. Even as you said yourself, low budget or not, um, you've Thank you. done wonders here. Thanks so much. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And uh, you know, we can't do any of this without uh, you know, the support, right, from the uh uh from the independent film community and the horror community, you know, has been wonderful. Um, individuals like yourself just um, you know, giving us support. Uh, because you you know what's what's really lacking uh is most independent filmmakers put all their resource into their movies. And then they're, you know, unlike the studio that has just an endless resource to promote their movies, um, you know, we have to get out and, and uh, you know, go festival to festival and and hope we can build a word of mouth for it, you know, so. Absolutely. Um, and it's what, it works to some degree. You do the best you can. You know, you said yourself you haven't got the backing of, I don't know, The Exorcist believer and what that's got money behind it and things like that um yeah. so you do what you can do uh, going back to the film um i wanted to ask were you conscious of how you would be portraying religion here in regards to your own beliefs whatever they might be Ah, uh, yeah it's a very interesting uh comment you know or question um uh you know to a degree um, it, it does, um, reflect my, some of my frustrations and questions and, um, you know, my inability over the decades to, um, to find, you know, perhaps, um, what I was hoping to find. Right. And, um, so hence we have this character, Gabe, who, who begins his journey, you know, you find out that he has a past in the church, um, but he left it, um, failing to find the answers. Um, and now he's he's searching, he's looking to the heavens, he's looking to the cosmos, right, you know, for answers. And um, uh, so I think that there's a bit of autobiography there, uh, you know, I would admit, um, you know, and then there's this whole, you know, without giving things away, you know, where is hell and what is hell? And um, when you look at, um, you know, just you, what's so fascinating about life without turning this into a, um, you know, a theological discussion is, you know, you, 
you know, on, on Monday, life can be amazing and beautiful and, and whatnot. And, and Tuesday morning, you wake up and there's a mass shooting somewhere and, um, you know, your, your neighbors are freaking out and, you know, um, you know, a friend of yours is, has cancer and, you know, so, um, that's where some of the dialogue that Doug Bradley, um, so eloquently gives voice to and saying, you know, we're born into a, uh, a, a, you know, a world where our existence is very limited and it's, it's full of pain, you know, there's mm -hmm. an awful lot of pain. So, so again, I'll, I'll stop there with, you know, with that. Um, but, um, that's what the film was attempting to really, uh, you know, kind of, again, hold a mirror to maybe. So. Um, I asked it because I always find any subject, um, any film that will base itself, not just in uh, religion, but focus on an aspect like hell, as we've said, and uh, make it uh, open-minded, have an open-minded mm -hmm. view on it to a degree, uh, way more fascinating than say a straightforward, this is what it is. And this is what we're telling you it is. That's true. Yeah. You know, there's a place for everything, I think, in cinema and um, whether you want to see The Nun, you know, um, or, you know, other films with religious overtones and um, uh, whatnot. But um, for me, you know, um, it's a it's a natural go to. And what's interesting about religion and in specifically, you know, let's say the New Testament and mm -hmm. in Bibles and so forth is it's you know, whether you really believe all of the uh, the written words, it's certainly ripe for dramatic um, cinema, you know, with, uh, you know, especially with that book of Revelations, you know, there's uh, there's a whole lot of content there, right, uh, to draw from. So, um, well, you know, you yeah, so I was just going to jump in and say, yeah, because even if you're not necessarily saying it with words, even just the imagery, and I, I use an, uh, an image from Thorns, which of course is the hallway with the passages pinned up on it, stuck up on the wall. I mean, the image alone is terrifying. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that, you know, the hallway was a central, uh, you know, point for the story for, you know, a number of reasons and in the pages in the Bible, you know, um, uh, where there's a whole lot of meaning there, but uh, we continually revisit it. And it's a, it's an intentionally claustrophobic film, um, you know, designed to be set in just this one location. And um, there are these transitions you, you may, uh, you know, in second, if you see it more than once, you know, you may, see how we travel through um, a cosmos that becomes more of a cerebral mm. um, uh, uh, landscape. And then at the very end, you put it all together and we're coming out of Gabe's eye and we do this kind of spin. And so, you know, the observatory really represents Gabe's soul, you know, in essence. And that's why we stay there um, because, you know, we're, we're struggling, we're trapped and, you know, the nun is really, you know, on one end trying to pull Gabe out of the, you know, the depths and, um, uh, you know, Malik's character is pulling him the other way. So, um, yeah, so that was the uh, that was the intention anyway. I think it comes across. Um, and you mentioned you mentioned before, of course, that um, ignoring just having Doug Bradley as part of the team, that there was mm -hmm. some inspiration for Hellraiser. But I think it's fair. Most people will watch and potentially draw also comparisons to the likes of Event Horizon. Is that fair? Did you draw inspiration from that? That, you know, uh, thanks for asking that question, because it wasn't. 
you know, in doing other films, even, you know, I've had people occasionally, I remember I did a film uh, years ago when I was a very young filmmaker and um, it was, a, it had a, a spiritual uh, bent to it. It was called Dark Heaven. And um, uh, it was a blockbuster exclusive when blockbusters were, uh, were around. Um, but someone uh, pointed out a, um, a Tarkovsky film and which I had never seen, um, you know, this uh, Russian filmmaker and, um, and they found it impossible that I, number one, had not heard of the film and that I wasn't um, massively influenced by it to make, you know, my film. And I'm like, you know, I'm going, I'm being very honest with you. I've never seen the film. So um, that said, um, I I never watched um, uh, or I have seen Event Horizon, uh, but um, did it stay with me? Um, you know, um, I'm sure all the films I've watched, you know, at some point are just kind of like floating around my psyche. Mm. And so, you know, I'm sure there has to be some subconscious um, inspiration there, but in no means when I sat down and started creating, did I have any one story as a, um, um, you know, a guide or a, uh, uh, you know, um, a focal point other than the homage to um, the uh, the era of monster movies in general. So, you know, here I thought I was being actually a little, you know, with the whole, this, you know, it started out as the whole, where is the ninth planet, right? You know, what is the ninth planet? And um, that's been getting a lot more publicity in scientific journals, you know, as we're trying to find there's we seem to think there's a planet out there we just can't see. And I thought, well, what if the whole idea was, well, what if it is hell? You know, that's where it is. Mm. And so I started with there and Event Horizon, I believe, is a little different, you know, but um, certainly is a brilliant film. Wow. You know, um, yeah, it's it's um, often, you know, I was doing some reading up on several different reviews yesterday as well. And I kept kind of coming across that. And then I've seen it myself. Well, I, I think I think the only kind of thing that seems to be linking is hell. And then it's like, well, if we're going to do that, we can do everything. Let's throw doom in there. Video game as well, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, you're, you're, you're traveling down a rabbit hole, right? You know, when you're, when you're going to approach uh, that subject matter, I suppose. So, um, you know, uh, be forewarned, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Do you, do you have a particular favorite scene or sequence from the movie? You know, I really like the opening um, in the uh, when we first uh, come upon um, Dr. Malik and, um, you know, there it's a short little bit, um, you know, uh, where, um, you know, he's been left alone and uh, there, you know, the signal has physicalized itself and there's something in him that he's trying to get out. Um, I just like it because it's a nice setup. Um, you know, that's uh, that, to me, that works wonderfully. But, you know, there are there are some really wonderful moments throughout. Um, I do like when the, um, uh, uh, you know, the the monster metamorphosis, you know, Dr. Malik metamorphoses, right? He transforms and the thing from within 
um uh comes out i i like that as well and um you know i rather like the ending too and anytime doug bradley's on screen um you know i i'm engaged in and so forth so uh yeah plenty to choose from um i'm glad you mentioned the transformation because of course that amongst many other moments are um, some some of the more goriest sequences and scenes from the entire movie. There are some shocking imagery, uh, shocking images in the in the film. Did you did you just push your own limits here in regards to that side of things? You know what's interesting is I mean this film was shot. Um, you know I've noticed a bit of a resurgence um, as of late. You know with the with the hit of the film Terrifier. Uh, mm. too right in in gore um is kind of making a comeback and what's interesting is well you know this film was actually conceived and shot uh before um you know that that resurgence and so what what audiences might might refer to as is gore and and you know visceral gooiness to me um was honoring um the 80s and I, I I distinctly recall, you know, you know, going to a, a, a shopping mall where they had a multiplex um, to see Dawn of the Dead, you know, when I was a kid. And so I came out of the movie and I was in a mall, you know, and uh, but um, that movie in and of itself was extremely um, uh, graphic and uh, the physical effects and. And as were was the thing, you know, mm. John Carpenter's the thing, and even Hellraiser, you know, to this day still is almost on its own level. And so I, I was trying to, um, you know, kind of mirror uh, that era. So um, I, I felt we kind of had to deliver, right? Oh, well, you absolutely did. Um, I use the term shock and oh, I've seen a ton of horror. I don't get shocked. Anything to do with eyes. Yeah. You start doing stuff with eyes and, and, there's, and there's plenty of that here. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yep, the eyes have it. You know, there are those sensitive areas where everyone can, the eyes and of course there's fingernails, right? And and teeth and um, so forth. So um, there's that list of, how to make audiences squirm, you know? Okay, Doug, we're running out of time here. So I just want to yeah. um, wrap this up with basically people who want to support the film, people who want to get it, it, the word out about it, what can they do? Uh, what, we're we, we're going to screen, uh, we have a screening in New York um, at a, a wonderfully uh, prestigious New York uh, horror film festival um, in December. After that, we've, um, you know, I, I can say right now, um, we've just done a deal. We're going theatrical uh, with the film. So here in the U.S., um, it's going to be a two-phase release where we're going to start with um, a few theaters and then we're going to um, uh, expand. And that all starts in February. Um, so that's stateside. And then, of course, um, you know, we've we've done a, a whole lot of uh, uh, good media in uh, London with the result of the festival. So we're hoping uh, to find a, uh, a a good distribution deal. Mm. Um, fingers crossed in, um, uh, you know, in in London. So we'll see uh, in, you know, the UK in general. So we'll see how that goes. Um, yeah, for sure. 
Fantastic to hear that you're going to be doing theatres from February in 2024. That's incredible. And I guess for everyone else, just talk about it, shout about it, um, um, and just enjoy yes. it when you get the opportunity to see it. Um, Doug, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Carl. Thank you very much for watching. If you'd like to see more content like this, please consider hitting the subscribe button. It is gratefully appreciated. You can find us over at gbhbl.com, our full website, where reviews, news, and so much more goes up daily. We're also on all social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, threads, at GBHBL. Just search for GBHBL and you will find us out there. We also have merchandise on sale. You can access the shop via the website.